From the Rocky Top Insider Studios, it's the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, here we go, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Today, it is Wednesday, February 22nd. Man, we are back in studio, and we got a ton, a ton on the menu to talk about. All three of us were out traveling over the weekend, so now we're back. It's already been an eventful weekend. There are really, it's only been two days into the week with Monday and Tuesday. Now we're here on Wednesday, ready for a great recording. We got a full house at the studio right now. We got Ryan Shumpert to my right. We got the one and only Jack Foster over across the table. My name is Rick Butler. Good afternoon, my friends. How's everybody doing? Doing well, doing well. Glad to be back in the studio, fighting some allergies this week uh, yeah. with the, the warm weather, but yep. uh, I guess I would take allergies with the warm weather than a uh, normal February cold anyway, so can't complain. How about that? I mean, just yesterday for the for the home opener for Tennessee baseball, Beautiful you're sitting weather. there 70 degrees, mm-hmm. like a little bit of wind. Yeah, it was amazing. Could not have asked for much more. That was a pretty picture picturesque scene, if you will. Absolutely. And Rick, I had my Starbucks this morning, so every time I have my Starbucks, it's going to be a great day. So Okay. Great great Wednesday. Already. Every time Jack gets his Starbucks, an angel gets their wings. (laughs) That's right. That's right. There we go. Traveling across the weekend. Jack, you were in Arizona. How was that? Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Um, Phoenix area. I'd never been, and it was really, really nice. And yeah, it was all three different parks. I was going to say you saw three ballparks in three days, right? Yeah, and two... You know, big league parks, and then, of course, the Grand Canyon University night on Saturday was, it felt like a high school football game is the best way I could describe it. Okay. Just the band coming out on the field beforehand with the cheerleaders and just a raucous crowd. Hey, I, I worked at a summer camp um, growing up and, and kind of during college a little bit over there in Texas, but we would get a lot of Grand Canyon people over there. So I, yeah. I, I know a lot of those, you know, a lot of people who went to school there, they do their whole lopes up thing. It's it's a mm-hmm. It's a big deal. The yeah. way that people speak about that campus, about that fan base, especially like from a student section point of view, is pretty remarkable. Ha- All right, maybe I'm showing a little bit uh, of where my own personal age is, but <laughs> did either of you watch the TV show? Are you familiar with uh, Zoe 101? I, I mean, this is way back in the day. Yes. And my parents would always get mad at me because I would be like five or six years old and my brother was like 11 or 12 sure. and he would watch Zoe 101. Oh, yeah. But my parents thought it was too mature for a five or six year old. So I remember that always being a conflict. <laughs> Are you familiar with this show? Yeah. Uh, I mean, familiar. I feel like familiar it was like one of the. Of, like, come on, Teen Nick. I feel like it was like maybe the very first, like that and Drake and Josh, maybe yeah. like the yeah, very Drake first shows yeah. I can remember watching a little bit on Nick. But. Too young to ever have been like a big fan or anything like well, that. Well, people always say that the Grand Canyon, um, I, and I guess it's not on a coast, so there's right. a there's a big flaw there. But they say that like it's very similar. You know, if you're looking at it, and just Grand Canyon University has one of the best campuses out there. Just, but it's wait, kind of a, a little bit of like a hidden secret almost. Wait, so you're saying what's the connection here? The Zoe 101 campus is similar to Grand Canyon. They said it looks like it. Oh, just besides okay. the whole coastal aspect, I, I guess of it. <laughs> it feels like an important part of it. <laughs> well, I do. That does make sense. I mean, I, I'm. I don't know what the fictional, no. you know, the fictional high school or wherever they were 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 on. I don't think they were on the beach though, necessarily. I no. guess. No, but yeah, Saturday night was great, and they had an inflatable antelope outside, like a wow. huge, okay, like just massive deer, just inflated up and people partying outside the stadium there was a parking garage adjacent to the stadium kind of like stokely is with practice field you know yep top of the 
uh, parking garage, just cool. tons of people. Yeah. It's like what Vanderbilt baseball was like, uh, or they have that yeah. garage out in right field. And there are all, all those sports things are right next to each other at Vanderbilt. Yeah, and a lot of, at least last year, a lot of Tennessee fans uh, were up on the parking garage watching the baseball games for that series. Ryan, good trip to Lexington. I mean, I, I was there with you, so I, I, I experienced everything you did. But yeah. did you have a good trip? Yeah, better trip because you drove. So uh, <laughs> no no complaints. Nice uh, nice and easy. Uh, you know, pretty similar distance trip as Jack out to Arizona. So uh <laughs> nice and easy. Yeah, we uh, just took a we just took a nice morning drive up north, and uh, Jack had one heck of a uh, of an airplane connection filled weekend and all me, that good stuff. Me, but glad everyone's back here in the studio, back together. Yeah, let me tell you, Chicago O'Hare at four a.m. hits different. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine so. I can imagine so. Well, all right. Well, uh, we got plenty to get into today. Uh, we got to talk about a little Tennessee basketball in the month of February because hey, we're twenty two days in and. Man, if you split those two numbers up, you get a pair of twos, and that kind of counts for as many wins as Tennessee basketball has had. Just two wins so far in the month of February. We'll kind of dive deep into that, get you a, a little bit of a preview coming up for March. I mean, March is only what? I mean, six six days away, right? February is a short month. I think so. it's a leap year, though. So seven. Okay. I don't think it's a leap year. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. I don't Dude, think I've been so. thinking that all month. No, I don't think so. Sorry. Sorry, to, sorry to pull the rug. Sorry. No leap year this year. <laughs> no maybe. leap year. Anyways, though, we're, we're just about a week away, whatever it is, away from March. So we will we will kind of continue to talk about just where this Tennessee baseball team, or excuse me, where this Tennessee basketball team is. And then on the other side of the break, we'll get into just some other kind of Tennessee news notes and, and coverage, whatever else we can throw in. A little bit of baseball conversation, a little bit of football conversation. What am I missing here? I think that's it. More broad football. Yeah, uh, more SEC expansion. I, I say football, and I, and I mean like you're saying, just kind of broad stuff. Maybe even a couple draft notes here and there, but uh, plenty to get into. Plenty to do. All right, so what do you guys say we, we not delay the inevitable any longer and we start talking a little Tennessee basketball? It seems like what a lot of people want to talk about these days, and obviously for good reason, Tennessee basketball making a lot of noise with just the their their record and kind of the downhill slide that's been going on in the last couple of days because I, I want to take this team and kind of put them under a microscope a little bit. We can talk about yesterday's 68-63 to 63 loss to Texas A&M and College Station as, what is it, I guess the Aggies continue their... SEC undefeated home record there in Reed Arena, but I really also just want to look at the month as a whole. I think when you have a month where you're in the top 15 for the entire month, but at the same time you go what two and five as a record, I think you can really look at some of the some of the overall more broad details. But just real quickly, Ron, what you think about yesterday's game? Tennessee jumps out to a big lead right there at the beginning. A&M fights back as you would kind of expect they would. Tennessee shows some effort in the second half, but. At this point in the season, when especially when you're playing talented teams, missing two of your own starters, that kind of good effort just always isn't going to get it done, and it's kind of what we saw in, at Texas A&M last night. Certainly, and I don't know how much detail I can truly go into the games. I didn't watch the first half closely. I mean, it was I was at we were Jack and I were at Double baseball header, uh, essentially, yeah, at baseball, and it was on in the press box. So I was catching some of it, but I wasn't giving it my full attention. But you're right. It, it, to me, it was pretty similar from uh, a score standpoint. Of uh, besides the fast start, you know, but the way the game played out was kind of what I expected. I, I thought when you looked at what Texas A&M does well, when you looked at the fact they were at home, when you looked at the fact that they were one playing well and two have so much to play for. I mean, I said this on a radio hit yesterday. You don't really think about it. They're kind of in that weird middle ground. You almost never get this. They're not on the right side of the bubble, but they're on the bubble still. So a win over Tennessee would have been huge for them for that aspect. Right. 
And they're still like 100% in the thick of to win an SEC championship. So yeah. like they double had that motivation. And when you combine that with Tennessee being undermanned and just really the way Tennessee struggled on the road this season, I had a hard time thinking Tennessee would win. You're right, good fight back. Um, seven, eight minutes in the second half, I thought Tennessee might get blown out of water. I thought it might, they might lose by 15 points. Um, but they found a way to make a lot of, enough plays to make it competitive, and kind of as has been the theme, they just didn't make enough plays to win, and the offense is just too stag- stagnant, not enough good looks, not enough shots at the rim that you want, and really I guess the one takeaway, uh, extra takeaway I would add is that I think Santiago Vescovi deserves a lot of credit for mm-hmm. not only the fact that he played, but how hard he played. I mean, he looked exhausted on the court in the second half, and he made big play after big play, not just making shots, but grabbing some huge offensive rebounds too that that set up Tennessee to kind of when they made that comeback. Of course, Santi dealing with the sickness too. You know, yeah. uh, didn't practice a couple days beforehand, and yeah, for, for him to have that performance last night was just the effort he put on the court. Yeah, and you know, Texas A and M and Kentucky have shot a combined sixty nine free throws against Tennessee the last two games. Yeah, like I know Tennessee is a team that fouls a lot. You know, that's just kind of how they play. But it's just getting like the amount of the free throw discrepancy. In the last two games is just so alarming. You do you say that just from Tennessee's standpoint? Yes. Yeah. No, I would agree. And it's, I mean, you don't have consistent interior scoring, and you don't have you don't have post scoring, I should say. And Zakai Ziegler with Julian Phillips out, he's really the only guy on the roster who can get to the to the lineup, and he's five foot nine, so he's one yeah. doesn't have to get fouled a lot of times to contest, and two, he's probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt on a lot of calls at the rim. So you're right. I mean, Texas A&M is really good at getting to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Um, they do it as well as any team in the SEC, but I mean, I think I go back to our podcast last week when we were talking about the Alabama game. I said the way Tennessee was able to play defense in the Alabama game, they're not going to be able to play that way against Kentucky and Texas A&M, or really Kentucky. I said Just on the road in general. Yeah. yeah, on the road in general. So you're right. It kind of digs them a hole, and Again, I, I was listening on the radio for about the first five minutes of the second – I say five minutes, first three minutes of the second half when Tennessee picked up about six fouls. So <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I can't really comment on whether those were good calls or not. But until the – which it was a massive call, but until the Olivier Kamwa uh, call where Tennessee was down by one with 40 seconds left, they called a foul. It was obviously not a foul. Besides that – And it was, it was a good defensive play. Uh, it like, was a great defensive yes. play. But – in those 16 minutes of the game, I watched intently. You know, I didn't think there were, Tennessee was getting a bad whistle by any means, yeah. or at least anything that was out of the ordinary for what you're going to see on the road in SEC. Yeah, I wasn't play. trying to say that they were getting a bad whistle. It's yeah, just, I know it's you getting were. a little out of hand. You but know? I think a lot of people probably think Tennessee's getting a bad whistle. And sure, it was nothing that was out of the ordinary for an SEC road game. I think from it, what I, again, I didn't watch I the game. It. 40 minutes, super tight. But I didn't think besides that Olivier Kamal call, which was it changed the game. It was a massive call. But besides that, I didn't think Tennessee was getting hosed or anything. Well, I, I will agree with you. You know, as I did watch all 40 minutes of the game, and there weren't a ton of times where, where I was thinking to myself, wow, man, Tennessee is really getting robbed on that caller or this caller or that caller. You know, they, they won't stop calling these fouls on X player or Y player, whoever it is. I mean, even going back to just talking to Rod Clark on, on Monday, he kind of told the story about Zakai Ziegler a little bit, kind of getting frustrated about the fouls that were getting called on him. But from a coaching staff perspective, they're looking down and saying, hey, man, you've had four different referee crews in the last four games call these fouls. It's not just... You know the the refs making these calls. If four different crew, if excuse me, if four different crews are calling them, then we really got to go back into the film room and figure out what's going on there. Yeah, it's a Tennessee problem, right? It's not a ref problem. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, then the last thing I'll say to that is just, and, and one thing that I think Tennessee's offense can do a little bit better of a job of just 
man, more downhill attacking to the rim. I, I know that's not necessarily always going to be the strength, and especially when a guy like Julian Phillips is out, who who was so productive for Tennessee at getting to the rim and you know having that penetration into the paint. If you're not doing that consistently throughout the game, well, that's obviously a spot where fouls are going to get called. So I, I think that part of it is just, you know, that's not necessarily the way that Tennessee was attacking. We also saw them attack based on a lot of kind of outside in then back outside kind of offense yesterday. So I, I do think that the foul discrepancy is noteworthy and everything. But I also think that, man, some of it's just some of it yesterday was was Tennessee fouling, especially at the beginning of the second half. Some of it was Tennessee just not going to the the paint and attacking the paint like you would expect you know a team that would get those fouls too so uh, I think that is a big conversation around the around the team right now but a little bit also of a broad conversation I think that some people out there are maybe you know maybe putting a little too much into that or you know maybe conspiracy well, theories about or however it is getting talked about well I think it's just putting it all on Santiago Vescovi's shoulders like when all these players are in foul trouble and Santi's the only one who can really be aggressive like Zakai. Certain, like of all the players that you desperately don't need to get in foul trouble, I think Zakai Ziegler is that, and he has been struggling with that. Yeah, and there's no, I mean, he's played like that. Yeah, it's no surprise. His whole career, but you got to find a way to better, fix it. Yeah. You can't just say, "Well, that's how it's going to be." Like, no, you're going to lose, so yes. you that has to be fixed. I mean, I said it in our group chat last night, and with Julian Phillips and Josiah out, Tennessee cannot go on the road against good teams and win when Zakai plays like he played last night, like he played against Kentucky. He, you just can't. Like he's, Their team is too dependent on what he does on both ends of the court. And the foul trouble is a big part of it. I mean, they can't win when he's having to play in foul yeah, trouble the whole game. And he, they can't win when he you know, turns the ball over four times and, and shoots 6-17 from the field and 2-11 from three. I th- yeah, I think he's shooting too many threes. Yeah, I know he's a good shooter, but... No, I I agree with your thought process, but I know that's what Tennessee wants them to do. Like okay. they've Rick Barnes has said that Rick Barnes has said that they don't if it's the shot clock late, they'd rather him bomb a deep three than him go in and throw up a contested shot that I don't think has a chance to go up. Now, I still think eleven threes is a little much. He's doing that a little yeah. much. I mean, I even go to that last possession. Not that it's gonna be a significantly better shot, but A&M, Tyreek Key's playing deep off the wing. A&M's sagging off him a little bit. I mean, I'm, if I'm Zakai, I'm trying to get two dribbles on my left hand in the middle yeah. of the court. Boom, trying to get a quick pass to Tyreek. And at and least look, he's set. At least he's catch and shoot. It's not like Tyreek Key is an unbelievable shooter. And it's like, man, I can't believe Zakai did that instead of that. But Yeah, it, it didn't look like Zakai had any intention to dish. I mean, it didn't look like he had any. I mean, it probably did a little bit, but like. It didn't look like he had any intention to do anything besides shoot a three. Right. Yeah. Good, so, good call. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess they needed a three. But it. There's multiple ways you can do that other than just yeah and I, one dribble in. And I mean, I don't, back. I don't mean to hate on Zakai obviously too much because he's such a big player for Tennessee. I mean, you made the deep three that kept him in it. Yeah, and he had the drive three. to the hoop and so like, big, really he makes big, big plays. plays. Like, yeah, but also, you know, it, it, he's hurting them a lot too. He's he, getting him in these holes. He needs to be more consistent. Yeah, I mean, and, and the foul trouble stuff he just needs to clean up. I mean, Rod Clark talked about it. Talked about it when we met with him on Monday that he had a conversation with him. It's like. Different refs are calling, you're in foul trouble every game from different refs. It's yep. not the refs, it's yeah. you. Yeah. And, I mean, that's – I go back to last year. Like, I was surprised he wasn't in foul trouble more because, I mean, he reaches a ton. He, yeah. And he's good at reaching. Like, he's good at not always fouling when he reaches, and I think he gets a benefit of doubt some because he's five foot nine because he's so short. But as he becomes a more big player in the SEC, when he's not just a, a scrappy freshman who – is kind of unknown as he becomes one of the SEC's best players. You're gonna have the eye of the refs on you more. Yeah, and for that type of stuff. That and 
with other teams going after him too, like John yeah. Calipari talked about. Like, Kentucky, he said, you know, Kentucky isn't my, my team isn't usually a team that goes after people or tries to get people in any foul trouble, but we kind of attack Zakai a little bit. You know, I think when you talk about the the inconsistencies of this team, right? Because ultimately, that's one thing that we can all look back on and point to as you know one of the. For lack of a better word, one of the inconsistencies of the month of uh, of February and a little bit before that as well, just the inconsistent nature of it. When I when I think about that word and that term just regarding Tennessee basketball, I think about it in two different directions. Number one, yeah, you can look at certain guys on Tennessee's team and you can see how inconsistent they are. And you can really see uh, a guy like Zakai Ziegler. When he's good, man, Tennessee's offense is typically humming. They're able to you know distribute the ball very well. The ball is moving very quickly, so on and so forth. Tyreek Key, I think we saw, what, a a two- or three-game stretch from him just about a week or two ago where he was firing on all cylinders. He was really that that catch-and-shoot, spot-up shooter that Tennessee needed, but then has kind of regressed back over the last couple games. And, you know, he's not been terribly good. I I do absolutely think there's negatives there, but at the same time, man, it's it's hard to be a consistent team when you do have so many injuries consistently throughout the season. That's something that Tennessee players talked about yesterday after the game. Man, it is difficult to— you know, to be going through all these different lineups, to, to go through stretches where you don't have a, a Josiah Jordan-James, you don't have a Santiago Vescovi, you don't have a Julian Phillips, so on and so forth. That's been a real story of Tennessee's basketball team this year, and I, I, I don't give, it, give them that as an excuse, but I do think that it is something to, to absolutely note. They've had a hard time just getting consistency with the five guys they're putting on the court simply because of injuries. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. And I'll, two thoughts on that. One on Zakai, and then I'll move, move on to the injuries. Sure. While he's not playing well, I do think Zakai is the type of guy that his job gets so much harder when guys around him aren't playing well because then he is forced yes. to do more, and that's what's happening. I mean, he's he's forced to create more, he's forced to shoot more, uh, and so I don't. I think it's a little bit of a, a snowball effect sure. that when other players don't play well, it puts a lot more on his shoulders, and I think he presses sometimes. So it goes all along with that, and I think one thing that kind of goes in with that with the injuries. And more than anything to me with the injuries, it's the fact that both of them, Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James, are injured. Yeah, It's not like losing one of those guys is just something you cannot overcome. I mean, we saw Tennessee play really well early in the season when Josiah Jordan-James wasn't playing. I mean, we saw him beat Kansas, who, and granted, it's a long season, it's a different Kansas team, but Kansas is probably playing as well as anyone in the country right now. Uh, so... You see that, but when you don't have both those guys, one, what you lose from a depth standpoint, one, all of a sudden foul trouble just becomes a much bigger issue. I mean, earlier in the season, Tennessee could get in foul trouble, and it wasn't the end of the world, really, besides anyone besides Zakai, because they had so much depth. Mm-hmm. And now it just becomes a massive issue when you have guys in foul trouble. And I think maybe even the biggest, as it relates to Zakai and the offense, is Tennessee just doesn't play four-guard lineups. I mean, they yeah. can go with Meshack a little bit, but Rick, or I guess Rod Clark said it, uh, he can play to four a little bit, but he's 6'4". Yeah. Julian Phillips is 6'8", with a longer wingspan. Yeah. Josiah Jordan-James is 6'6", has been doing it for three years, is whatever he is, 220 pounds, extremely, extremely strong. And when you don't do that, and you have to play these two big men, and Tennessee can't get a con- one consistent big man to show up every night on the offensive end, when you got to play two of those guys, and some nights none of them show up, Kentucky game, man, it's hard, it's hard to play offense that way. When they're clogging the paint, yes. and... Again, that's making a little guy who has to create a lot of offense for you drive in into even more congested paint with less shooters to dish the ball to, and all those issues just kind of compound on each other. Okay, so to that point, I was listening to post-game radio yesterday, and they had a caller call in, and somebody said, why is Tyreek Key on the court? 
why is he on the court if he can't shoot, if he can't do this, if he can't do that? And it's like, well, you look at the box score, and it's like, well, if Tyreek Key didn't play, then you didn't have another wing come off the bench. Right, Tennessee ultimately yesterday yeah, looking back at the game. Shallow, yeah. Exactly. They don't have a deep roster right now with these two guys injured. Tennessee's got essentially two guys playing off the bench. That's one wing and Tyreek Key and one forward in Tobey Awaka. Yes, Heroes Plavsic got in for three minutes. BJ Edwards had, had uh, for a second straight game another one minute run just in the middle of the game when, you know, Zakai does something wrong in the court and he gets pulled out. Tennessee is operating with one wing and one uh, forward from the bench right now. Again, these aren't necessarily excuses and you know certainly not that's certainly not what's the word i'm looking for here Ex- uh, the only issue yes the main it's certainly issue. not the only issue and it's also not not an excuse for you know tyreek key again going one of seven from the field or something like that but i do think that it is looking at this and going well you, they're playing who they have to play right now just simply because of the guys who are injured yeah i, I get that some people don't want to see tyreek key when he's shooting cold but hey Tennessee needs a wing coming off the yeah. bench, right? You yeah. can't just run with your five starters for all 40 minutes. They're they're challenged in that aspect right now. Even past that, I mean, and don't get me wrong, he needs to shoot more consistently, or shoot better more consistently. He's a th- Even he's on the court, he's one of six last night, he was a threat to shoot, and Texas yes. A&M was treating him. And they, they treat and him. And if he A&M, hot, yes. then it's on. And Texas yeah. A&M was extending their defense out to him, and that creates – about the only driving lane on the court when you're running with the roster Tennessee ha- or the lineups Tennessee has to right now. So whether he's making shots or not, he's a, at least a threat. I mean, you're going to put B.J. Edwards out there, who's another not very good shooter, and then all of a sudden you have Zakai as the only player on the court. I guess if Santi's out there, too. Santi, there, you got two guys on the court who Texas A&M is even bothering to respect from three-point range. Yeah, it's incredibly dim-sided to – to think that oh this guy doesn't need to get minutes oh they need to cut Zakai's minutes like what are you gonna do like you, <laughs> you're gonna start these guys who have no experience on the bench like that's what you're gonna do then you're mailing it in for the season like yes. it, Tennessee fought last night like they fought for that game and you know they come up short and a lot of it's due to the guys who are injured road environment and stuff and yes yeah, certainly they made a lot of mistakes but you know and the fighting's twofold or at least I have twofold kind of reverse opinions on it. Is a veteran team. Yeah, you should you should fight. What are you what are you doing if you're not fighting? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying. No, yeah. and I, well, I'm gonna get to this get to the second the rebuttal to that in a second. And you want to say win some tough games. I mean, that's what the veteran team should do. But at the same time, look, Tennessee's regular season goals they're dead. Tennessee's not winning the SEC championship. I guess you could say earning a top four seed is still alive in the SEC tournament. It's at this at this point. I mean, we go back to early in the season when all the fans were. We got to see him do it in March. We got to see him do it in March. That's what matters now, the NCAA tournament. And the fact that the team is still clearly locked in and they're still fighting and there is no quit, that's a positive. And yep. since the team hasn't given up, and while, sure, I, I get people being like, well, that doesn't do you any good at Texas A&M if you don't win the game. Sure. But the alternative of that is the team's given up on the season, essentially. Which happens in sports Which happens quite a bit. all the time in college Especially sports. Especially when you go 2-5 and five in a month. And all of that to say, what, we entered the NCAA tournament and – I'd say there's maybe two teams I feel confident in their consistency, and one of them had a player murder somebody earlier this season, and it came uh, out yesterday uh. that two of their freshman starters were witnesses and involved. Slash involved. Slash yeah. involved uh, in some extent. Sup- supplying them the murder weapon. Yeah, I mean. so look, no one's consistent, and if people want to sit here and say, well, I'm not going to trust a Rick Barnes team that's struggling in February to win in March, I'm not going to say that's not even a fair point. But there's no consistency from anybody. This Tennessee team hasn't given up. 
They have some pieces that aren't there that can get healthy. They're, you can go into the round of 32 game, and I can guarantee you Tennessee's going to be playing a team that hasn't had any consistency and has had really bad stretches all year and has just as many questions, if not more, than Tennessee. So Yeah, a ton of parody in college basketball. A ton of parody in college basketball. And you'll, I want to get your opinion on this real quick, Ryan. Um, Tennessee feels like a team, yeah, they haven't been one seeds or anything in the NCAA tournament in years past. And maybe just taking the uh, the Oregon State loss year, that year, out of the equation. It feels like Tennessee's been a team that comes into the NCAA tournament kind of on a high note. They're playing good basketball. They're a high seed. This year, they may come into the NCAA tournament not playing very good basketball, and then they're a four seed, and that's the team that you don't want to face because they could come in with a little chip on their shoulder. Could it be roles reverse is what I'm trying to say for Tennessee this year than in years past? I mean, it could be. I don't think I would like look at that as like, oh, it's going to be because of that. But I mean I go Iowa State last year was horrific in Big Twelve play. They made a sweet sixteen. I mean you see you see teams do it all the time. That doesn't mean it's just gonna happen for Tennessee, but it doesn't mean that because of a bad month it can't happen and they're dead too. I think the the thing with that conversation is like well last month we, people were saying, hey, Tennessee's gonna be a two seed that you don't want to play. And they kind of drive back to a three seed a little. Hey, well, Tennessee's going to be the three seed that you don't want to play. Tennessee's going to be the four seed that you don't want to play. I, I think that, you know, at some point it's like, okay, well, you know, we understand that Tennessee is a team that's got high highs and low lows, and and that's just kind of who they are this season. Some of that's due to injuries. Some of that's due to the way that they're playing on the court. But I, I to me, I don't necessarily subscribe as much to the theory of, you know, hey, Tennessee's a four seed that you don't want to play just because, again, like, I, I, I think that is true. We've also heard that for a couple weeks now, and they haven't been the four, you know, in this kind of four spot for a second now. But I also think that just going back to the whole conversation about fight and energy, I I also think it's great for it's great to see fight and it's great to see high levels of energy. But it's also like last last weekend against Kentucky, Jemai Meshack came after the game and said, "Hey, we just didn't have energy." You know, talking to Rod Clark on Monday, a lot of the conversation was about energy. I, I just feel like this is a late point in the season to be having those kind of conversations. Obviously, you know, at some point you just got, you kind of get to the point of, you know, hey, it, you know, that's, that is the story of, of what's going on right now. And especially if a player's talking about it, then that is going to be the story. But I don't know. I, I just feel like it's a little bit late to, you know, in the season to be commending fight or, or to be going back and forth and saying, well, they didn't have great energy in this game, but then they came back and they, they did have good energy in the next game. It's like, to, in a sense, we should expect good energy. We should expect fight, and that shouldn't be as much of a conversation. Now, again, I think that it's it's good to see it. I think that we do need to acknowledge when it comes in, especially like yesterday, a guy like Santiago Vescovi playing against illness and injury. But I do think that there are bigger problems for this team, and I think that need to get addressed just besides the, you know, the kind of effort that's shown on the court. I, I think you expect good effort, and they need good effort carrying out. We can't hang our. They're not going to win without. I mean, if you're yeah. a team that prides yourself on your defense, you're not going to win without if you don't have that effort in the yeah. So, I mean, I think all that's very fair points. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's kind of wrap up this this Tennessee basketball conversation. Three regular season games left, right? Yep. South Carolina, then you home against South Carolina for the weekend, then you home against Arkansas, home against Arkansas on Tuesday. To yes, Tuesday. Then you close the season at Ar- at Auburn. Excuse me, next weekend. So three. 
not too challenging games. I think South Carolina, kind of the, the expected, certainly an expected win right there, especially coming back home over the weekend. What are your expectations for this Tennessee basketball team, and what do you need to see out of this Tennessee basketball team over the next three games to kind of give you a little bit of an upbeat feeling, a little bit more confidence heading into that SEC tournament, heading into March? Simple answers. My expectations would be surprised if I didn't see it, if the, the games didn't go win-win loss. Would be very surprised if Tennessee doesn't win the home games and lose at Auburn. What can they do to what do they need to show me? And I guess get healthy would be one and two, it's win at Auburn. Yeah. If you win at Auburn, so, a, a place that Tennessee struggled horribly since Bruce Pearl's been there, a very hard environment with a team that has one decent road win this year, Mississippi State, and a bunch of beating the bottom feeders at SEC on the road. That would show me something. That would give me more confidence in them. So but, you're not expecting them to get a double bye? Because if they lose that game, it's pretty much it's done, right? Assuming Auburn know. doesn't lose before now and then? Uh, I'm not. I haven't looked at it I since I think that's correct, because the they both have six conference losses. So if Auburn doesn't lose until that last game. Well, Auburn game, plays Alabama again, so I, oh, I expect well, them go. to lose yeah. again. Never mind then. Jack, what about you? What do you kind of want to see from this Tennessee basketball team for the next three games to give you maybe a little bit more confidence heading into that SEC tournament, that kind of March stretch, if you will? Yeah, I mean, it's an easy answer, but it's just consistency. I I, I was talking last night to some of my friends. I was like, you know, we've had the Olivier Kamwa game. We've had the Jonas Adu game. We've had the Tyreek Key game. We've had the sure. Jemai Meshack game. Like, sure. All these, you know. <laughs> I never really thought just, about it that way. That's, that's spot I mean, on. Santiago Vescovi is the only player that has consistently shown up in every game. And, then, yeah, Zakai's equal too, but he's obviously had his flaws with the fouls and stuff. You know, I just want to see a game where everything comes together. And... I think that's an easy answer, but I think it's one that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think especially when you put it in that way, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? You've seen Tennessee's players, and especially kind of the, the star players or the role players, you've seen them flash throughout the season at times. But, man, I, I think that it would instill a lot of confidence in people just who are watching this, who are watching this team, who are wanting to put a little stock into this team heading into March. I, I think you're right. Just being able to provide a little bit more confidence uh, Boy, this is about to be redundant. Uh, consistent consistency uh, over these last three games. I-, I think that could help out. Now, obviously, that's not breaking news. And and, and you know, I'm talking to the coaches, they, they've said, "Hey, that, that's a hard thing to track down." But uh, I think that ultimately, that is one of the one of the big things that would give people confidence, just being able to see kind of compounding uh, success, right? Or at least just building building success, if you will, as they go and. I also think a couple of wins would would help people out, considering that that is something that Tennessee has been in a little bit of a deficit in uh, in the month of February. I mean, Ryan's headline said it best after the Kentucky game. Inconsistently, currently Tennessee basketball is one constant. And it's not to say it's impossible, but it's a senior, a lot of veterans play on this team. It's hard to think that they're going to flip a switch and just magically have consistency. Yep, yep, no doubt about it. All right, guys, that is... It's a good half hour right there of Tennessee basketball conversation just looking at this team right now in the month of February as they, they continue to go up against obstacles. They continue to go against a, a hard run right here in the SEC, but going to have to kind of figure some things out in this last stretch, hopefully for, for Tennessee, getting a couple guys healthy as they expect, excuse me, maybe expect's not the right word, but as they await both Julian Phillips and Josiah Jordan-James to return to the court and extend Tennessee's bench a little bit, which is going to be crucial in the future. All right, guys, let's do this. Let's take a quick break right here, come back on their side, and then see if there's a couple more little, just little Tennessee news and notes that we have to hit, maybe from around the football world, maybe from around the baseball world. And then, hey, I actually 
I might even have a good story for the very end about a different Tennessee sport that we've never even remotely talked about <laughs> on, the, on the podcast. Uh, it, it does actually doesn't even have anything to do with the sport. I'll check out before the lacrosse talk. No, talks. it's not even about that. It, and why'd you give away the surprise? Come on, Ryan. Yeah, it's on me. Hand up. There was close. There was. I went to the game on Sunday. There was almost Battle? a brawl. Okay. There was almost a fight. Okay. You're a little brouhaha going a on. A little brouhaha. <laughs> you can give me a stay run. Did a guy get did a guy get sucker punched in the face? Yes, he did. Oh snap. I'll give you that story. We'll talk about more Tennessee sports coming up right now. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. Ryan Miller in his first at bat as a Tennessee volunteer cranks. A two-run home run in the eighth inning yesterday to give Tennessee a 10-0 win against Alabama A&M, their first of the season at home. Yesterday was their home opener, and Tennessee's first run rule victory of the year. Well, real quick, what do you guys kind of think about that? How do you think it's going to play out for this season? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Going to see a lot of them, and I love it. I Yeah, I love them too, and... and SEC games, it has to happen. Just clarification on the rules, because as a lot of college baseball, it's, it's very confusing. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Conference games, it has to happen. Non-conference games, if it's just if one team wants to do it. And Tennessee's never going to want to do it. Tony Vitello hates it. He does not oh. like the run rule. I was going to and I was, cover, I was watching, I was following along with Rocky Tap Insider on Twitter as I was watching the basketball game from my house yesterday. I was a little surprised when I saw that winner to run rule just because of that right there. I, I knew Tony Vitell wasn't a fan, so was so, that on a, Alabama A and M side? Alabama A yes. To... Alabama A and M wanted to do it. <laughs> I know Tony even went over to talk to him and try to talk him out of it. But okay. Alabama A and M wanted that makes to do sense. it. Um, Dayton, they're not doing it this weekend. So heads up to anybody watching or following along for the Dayton series this weekend. So it's basically going to be opponent by opponent in, in non conference slate whether they have it and then in SEC play you have to have it. But gotcha. it's great for the media. I, well, I sure. love it. Yeah, I mean, why do we need to see a night? You know, JJ Garcia's got to get some innings, Jack. True. Those are Tony's words. JJ, we got to <laughs> get JJ Garcia to some innings. Yeah. No. I can't wait for the first time we see JJ Garcia in a midweek game to ask Tony, so what What do you think about a JJ yeah. Garcia inning? <laughs> What'd you think? Yeah. No, it's very important that we got him in in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah. Yeah, no. Tennessee had a good night, of course, last night. A couple of first college at bats going. Uh, Going well for Kavar's yeah. Tears and Ryan Miller. Of course, you mentioned Miller Tears ripping a double in his first college at bat. First pitch, first pitch. Yeah, first oh, pitch. I thought, I thought it was second pitch. My bad. Okay, and uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was first pitch. No, you're probably right. I trust you. Jared Dickey uh, mentioned it too. He said Tears was, or I think Tony had said Tears was one of the guys that's in the in the batting cages as much as anybody. And then yeah. Jared Dickey said he was grinding on changeups. Uh, oh. I guess the day before the game, and he gets the first pitch changeup. Drives it opposite opposite right. field, left field, left there center field go. for a, for a double. So yeah, now we saw four pitchers throw two innings of pop. Uh, AJ Russell and first time we saw him, and Jacob Bimby second time we saw him. So yeah, yeah, good night for Tennessee. Arms got some work. Um, hitters got some work. So yeah, yeah. They'll Classic play midweek. Alabama and yeah, again they tonight. Were, they, they run it back tonight, run which is back. Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And uh, tune into Rock Top Insiders live update feed. New this baseball season. At bat by at bat updates on our website, so be sure and check that out. Great way to follow along in the office yes. for the the four o'clock uh, Eastern time uh, yes. midweek games. Especially here early if you season. don't have ESPN Plus or anything, all these midweek games, of course, not televised nationally. So, yeah. I was talking to a guy at the game yesterday. He was saying that he went to the Journey concert uh, here okay. in Knoxville last Friday night, which I know a lot of people did. He said that hey, I had to uh, I I turned on the the, the Twitter notifications for go. RTI because you know y'all are going through one by one. Now, like you said, you, you've got the website to uh, to go along with it as well. Not bad at all. 
Nope. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's switch topics a little bit, and and this is something that we've maybe wanted to hit on for the last week or two, but you know we'll we'll, we'll kind of attack it today, and and um, it has to do with the SEC expanding in the summer of 2024. We've known for a little while now that Texas and Oklahoma were going to. Uh, we're going to be welcomed into the SEC. We just didn't really know when. Then you go back a couple weeks ago to really early February, so around February 10th, where it was announced that uh, that basically Texas and Oklahoma, it, it, the path had been paved for them to join the SEC in 2024. Now, by that happening, the SEC jumps from 14 teams up to 16 teams in the conference. Now, here here's kind of what our conversation is going to be about today. Well, there's no definitive direction around you know, uh, that was announced regarding the football scheduling, the widespread notion is that the SEC will abolish the divisional format and move to one big 16-team league with potentially a 3-6 scheduling model. What's the other one? A 7-1 scheduling model? Yeah, 1-7. So the conversation for today is kind of just about those two things right there and, and what they would look like. Essentially, a, a, let's talk about the 3-6 model, and you can you know use context clues to fill in. The 3-6 model would allow each one of the each team three permanent rivals, while the remaining 12 teams get cycled through six and six every other year. We're talking about basically football right now, right? So let's say Tennessee had their three three permanent opponents of who do you want to give? You want to give Alabama, yeah, Alabama, well, Kentucky, and Vandy, yeah. Give Alabama, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. Those are Tennessee's three permanent rivals every single year. And then the other 12 teams, again, would get mixed up six and six every other year. So really, I mean, you're you're tackling what? You're tackling every team in the conference every two years. Every two years. And getting to play on the road every four years. Every four every years. Every school in the conference. And that is something completely different than where we are right now, where you know, uh, again, you, you wouldn't go to a Texas A&M after going in, what, 2016? Every, every 12 years. You wouldn't go for a long, long time, 12 years. So, yeah. personally, if you're asking me, I kind of love the 3-6 model. That's great. I that really, great. really like it. I, I, I think it's a it's the right number of permanent rivals. And I know that not every team is going to be thrilled with their permanent rivals, and some people's are going to be worse, and some people's going to be better than others. That's just kind of the way that things work out. But I really like having those three, but then still having a, a big enough number of six to be able to rotate through every other year. I think that's a really good balance of, again, seeing the people that you're used to seeing and getting a little bit of consistency in your rivalries. But then again, this is the SEC conference for a reason. Right, this is the Southeastern Conference. It's not always the SEC East, right? Which we, as people who follow Tennessee, are so used to seeing. Now we're going to see a lot more of that interaction with a Texas A&M, an Ole Miss, a right. Mississippi State, an Arkansas teams that we just aren't as used to seeing as people who follow the Tennessee product. So, for me personally, I love the three-six model. Yeah, and it, uh, I feel like to go along with this, divisions will be, you know, eradicated. And yeah. done away with across college football yes. too. I, I feel like that's where college football's headed. And yeah, the three six model is great. Um, like you said, might be a little worse for some teams rather than others. I think SEC will have to be smart with who they give the teams to. Because like Alabama, what, what do you say their biggest three rivals are? Auburn, LSU, and Tennessee on a year to year basis. That yeah. is brutal for Alabama because that they're going to have the hardest stretch than for the rivalry games than any other team in the conference. Yeah, and it kind of goes. You're right. It kind of goes both ways, in my opinion, where – I mean, you have it now, where sure. it's supposed it, to be your permanent opponent in the West. It's supposed to be someone who's as good as you. Tennessee doesn't play Ole Miss. They play Alabama. Those are supposed <laughs> to be – those are traditionally the two best schools in the SEC. Georgia doesn't play Mississippi State. They play Auburn. So, yeah. you kind of – and that's what – I mean, ESPN's paying however many billion, trillion dollars. I don't know the yeah. figure – 
they want good games, and you want to pit your best versus your best. Now, you want to f- strike a little bit of a balance in there, but I don't think it's a massive problem either. I can see Auburn getting the shortest end Auburn's going to get the shortest end They're going to get Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, it feels like, if that were be the case. And that mm. feels Yeah, you're right. That is miserable. They're going to get LSU, LSU, I think, instead of Florida. For okay, you think so? Georgia, it'll be Georgia, Alabama, So, Eastern and then Sudas, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but the the one seven model is definitely not. Let's not play. We yeah. don't need to be playing eight conference games. Come on. Yeah. If you're gonna make, well, what I'll say this: the new scheduling model is one of the few good things about conference expansion. And I will say too, if you're gonna make me, you're gonna make us watch an expanded watered down product. Let us play nine conference games. I mean, let's not sure. Mickey Mouse this thing up playing eight, eight conference games when sure. you're playing less than half the teams in the conference every year. So, uh, yeah, to me, it's great. I, I think when you look at Tennessee. I think what we named earlier is probably the most likely. Alabama, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Wouldn't be surprised if you see Florida in there instead of Kentucky. Yeah. I think Alabama and Vanderbilt are pretty definitive. Yeah. Uh, the Tennessee will play those two every year. Could see it kind of going either way with Kentucky or, or Florida uh, for that last spot. Yeah, me too. I originally thought Florida um, at the beginning, but I, I don't know. I, I just feel like he, like if you don't give Kentucky Tennessee, like looking yes. at it from their standpoint, like you can give Florida other options. Yes. But who are you going to give Kentucky? When you talk about trying to have any sort of semblance of balance, if Kentucky doesn't have Tennessee, they're going to have an extremely easy. And Agreed. Yeah, well, they're going to get South Carolina, South Carolina, Vandy, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State, I guess, maybe. keep Maybe. Yeah. maybe. I mean, they, Mississippi State has plenty of better regional options. Yes. Obviously, that's been the crossover in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you give them, yeah. I'd have to Missouri, I mean, Missouri, like Missouri. It's a, I, there's not another top half team when you look at the SEC that I guess really now you're going to have like yeah. nine of the 16 schools have had traditional big level football success. Kentucky's not going to play any of those if it's not Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, every I, year. I, I guess there's an outside shot they could get Ole Miss, but there's no so, like, history behind those two. Here's a like that, so. I found an article from CBS just two days ago, some proposed SEC annual rivalries. Uh, they have. Tennessee is like we talked about, Alabama, Kentucky, Vanderbilt. They have Kentucky's, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Florida. They have Florida's, Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky. They have Alabama's, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. Are there any others that you'd Wait, like who'd to know? Wait, who would you say Georgia's protecting? was? Georgia's three, Auburn, yeah. Florida, South Carolina. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Auburn, like we've said. Actually, they, they, they switched up a little bit from us. Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi State for the Auburn Tigers. Gives them a little bit of a reprieve. Getting Mississippi yeah. State instead of LSU. Yeah. Arkansas gets Texas, LSU, Missouri. Uh, Texas would get A&M, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, which is just, A&M, you Oklahoma, know, Arkansas. hello, non-SEC. That, that's what that feels but like But, I mean, to that's, me. again, I But it I, makes sense. I, I think yeah, you have to kind of group those. Yeah. Those are all rivals. I yeah, mean, th- they are. Again, you talk about, I don't like conference expansion, but one of the good things, let's get some old Big South, or the Big Eight, I guess, not the Big yeah. South rivalries back. Texas playing Arkansas. Yep. That used to be a traditional rivalry. And, yep. obviously, Texas, Texas A&M, Phenomenal rivalry. Yep. You know, Thanksgiving, I don't think it was always like this, but growing up, Thanksgiving night, great game, great. Glad we have it back now. Yep. Any others that you'd like to know what the projections are? Or at least what CBS was. What, what did they have? Did you say Bama's was? Just for Alabama quick. would be Auburn, LSU, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a hard one, but that is the obvious. That, that's all three of their Dixieland delight people right there. I think there. you would maybe, uh, <laughs> that's right. I think you would. They don't even have to change the words. I could see them flipping. <laughs> Mississippi State and LSU between Auburn and Alabama. Where Auburn would play LSU and Alabama would play Mississippi State. Yeah, I can see that too. I, I, I could see that. Also, geographically, I mean, I make Auburn and 
excuse me, Alabama and Mississippi State are closer than any two schools in the SEC to one another. So I could I could see that. Vanderbilt. And I could also see the SEC giving a little bit of a, a kick to Auburn to give Alabama an easier schedule. That wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah. Does Vandy get Kentucky, Selkar, and Tennessee? Kentucky, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Okay, yeah. South Carolina, what, Missouri, Georgia, and Florida? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, everybody will – Everybody will be circling the annual Missouri-South Carolina game that gets <laughs> yeah. to stay on the Columbia, calendar. baby. The oh, Battle yeah. of Columbia. Oh, oh! Yeah, they got to do it. Yeah. yeah, that's a good – that's a, the Columbia Well, it, it, it's kind of fun. Missouri's going to be the funny team. It's going to be like the odd person out because just literally no one cares about Missouri. <laughs> like, they're, yeah. the, they're the big 12 team, but they – like Texas doesn't care about Missouri. Oklahoma doesn't care no. about Missouri. Yeah, they have Arkansas no, doesn't care about no, Missouri. Uh, historic rival yes. in the SEC. I was like, talking to, like Arkansas is bringing back Texas yes. or A&M and stuff. So, I was yeah. talking to a buddy of mine who's Arkansas fan, and he's, we're going to get stuck with Missouri, are we? That's a that's a terrible three rival. I, was, I can't argue with you too much. So although, what does Missouri have? South Carolina. Correct. Um, did you already say Kentucky in there earlier? Missouri's. You have South Carolina, Arkansas. Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Missouri, Oklahoma, a little bit of a former hypo bowl matchup. True. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is, so South Carolina doesn't have Texas A and M? No. Right. South is, Carolina that, has Georgia, Florida, what's, Missouri. What's that proposed. game called every year? Isn't it called something special? Hold on. I don't know. They play for like some trophy. A very fabricated rivalry, yes. as we try to do in college sports now, as we. De-geographize it. That's probably not a word at all. But de geographize yeah, yeah. The Bonham Trophy. Annual prize for the A&M Gamecocks winner. No more Bonham Trophy. I can't. <laughs> First a civil conflict. No more UConn-UCF. Greatest rivalry in sports. And now we're going to take the Bonham Trophy away, too? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's named after... Uh, named and modeled after Alamo battle hero James Bonham. It was... Uh, commissioned in 2013. Alamo hero? Yeah. We love the Alamo around here. Yeah. Remember it. South Never Carolina's it. got a lot of ties to it. <laughs> uh, isn't it great college football's changing, though? Like, this is the last year yeah. we get the four-team playoff format, no Texas-Oklahoma. Like, after this, it's completely going to change. Yeah. It's exciting. Nico yeah. Iamaliava and Arch Manning you don't are probably like going to be the no. starting quarterbacks. Ryan, Come on now. This is a very NFL take of you, Jack, to like this. Come on now. It's which, not awful with the aspect. The playoff? Dabo over there. Don't like the 12 team playoff? Well, no, I don't like that. I don't like conference expansion. We should be conf- we should be going back to the BCS. We should be going away <laughs> from conference. Send send Missouri and Texas A&M back to the Big 12. So so you don't like the Super League idea? No. That's what it's got to be though in the end. Only because people are greedy. And the money is the only thing that matters in this world to most people. That's the only reason that's the way it has to be. The only reason that's the way it has to be. Can't wait for what a conference rivalry, conference rivalry South Carolina-Texas A&M is. A lot of tradition there. South Carolina-Oklahoma, man, those geographical rivals. Been playing football against each other since 2023. That's what college football is all about. 24, I guess. So you don't... You don't subscribe to the the ideas of a twenty four team oh, super conference good. and no, it's awful. It is it is awful, and that's the way we're I heading, and it's that. terrible. It is the NFL. It's a it's just going to be a watered down NFL. But doesn't doesn't that make sure the best is going to win and and eliminate any possibility of a TCU making the CFP championship here's, and getting blasted by fifty eight points? Here's my thing. 
Isn't that terrible college I couldn't football? Have, I couldn't have cared less about the national championship this year. Like, for me, I would rather get the regular season right than and every once in a while you have a TCU, Georgia type of situation. You're like, well, why did we even play this game in the first place? Like, if that's the end result of a really good regular season, I can live with that. I'm not about, hey, the only thing that matters is getting the best team as the national championship winner. I mean, look, look, not that even happened. the best that team will get. Yes, yes, that happened this year. It, it, I, I would not sacrifice, especially in a sport like college football, where the regular season means so much. These rivalry games mean so unbelievably much to the people who are watching them. I would not sacrifice the regular season just to be like, well, by gum, we're getting the four best teams possible, and it's gonna be that. It's like the championships. The champion is gonna win every year. Sometimes you're going to have a dud of a semifinal game. Sometimes you're going to have a dud of a national championship game. To me, those are fine. Like that, that national championship game did not ruin my season by any stretch of the imagination. The fact that we had an unforgettable regular season, to me, that's what college football is really about. Well said. I mean, you, we, I can't wait to watch teams from L.A. and New Jersey play conference games. That's oh, awesome. Be a blast. That's great I, for college it'll football. It'll be a blast. I think college football, and I've— I think if the CFP continues to have more of a footprint in college football, it will turn this way. But I think college football should be totally separate than college baseball and other college sports. Yeah, like with the whole that. geographical mm-hmm. thing, because a baseball matchup between so UCLA much. and Rutgers yeah. is going to be absolutely just yeah, miserable yeah. for right. Right. It's, right. All, it's the awful the, for all those smaller the markets sports. and the money. If it's not football, yeah. those things don't and no one come into consideration. And the Big Twelve is just going to try and get all these teams they can, yeah. like no matter how mid they afloat. are, just to stay afloat. And it's just going to get messy. Yeah, right. No, you're right about that. Story time. You want a quick one? Yeah. From the weekend? Give it to us. All right. So I didn't have much going on on Sunday. We had the Tennessee basketball game at tw- at 2, so I had some time to kill beforehand. I went over to the IM fields, right, the intramural fields, because Tennessee lacrosse was playing. I used to play a little bit of lacrosse in high school, so I thought it would be fun. About halfway through the game or so, you start seeing these players getting a little bit chippy, right? It's Tennessee versus Western Michigan. So you go to the defensive side of the field, right? Tennessee's got this one big dude, big defensive guy, number 21. So I'm going to refer to him at the, from this point out as number 21. I don't okay. know his name. But number 21, you could tell that he was getting kind of annoyed with the Western Michigan offensive player that was kind of, you know, paired up with him. They were, they were hitting each other and, you know, just kind of some, some very passive-aggressive things going on, right? You could tell that the tension was building up a little bit. So at one point... A scrum happens on the field, and they kind of, you know, they're both fighting for a ground ball. Both of these players end up on the ground, and you kind of, <laughs> you kind of have a situation where, again, Tennessee's number twenty-one, and this other guy were on the ground. Tennessee's guy was trying to get up. You could see this all happen and unfold right in front of us. Tennessee's guy was trying to get up, but the Western Michigan guy, you know, sometimes if like two people are on the ground, you can kind of move your body weight to not let them get up or, or make yeah. it pretty hard. Well, that's what the Western Michigan guy was doing again, just to kind of get under his skin a little bit. The Tennessee guy was was frustrated by this, and you could tell that he was getting frustrated all game. So he turns to the to the Western Michigan guy and just, boof, boof, one punch right to the face. The guy goes, boom, and he's wearing the helmet, of course. And then the other guy, the Western Michigan guy, he takes the punch, he looks back up at him, and just shoves him right off. So both these players are now separated a little bit. They're both on the ground. One has been pushed. One has been punched. And then, of course, you you expand your peripheral a little bit, and you see all the other teammates coming in, right? So then you've got all these other guys converging on the scene, and they're all, you know, now you've got a little bit of a scrum going on there, and there's pushing and there's shoving going on, all because of this one Tennessee guy just boop punched this other guy in the face, and I'm I'm sitting there, 
We're going to get a fight. I feel like I'm a spectator in the Coliseum. Fight, 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 fight. fight. No, no fight broke out. The, the referees did a good job of, of separating the situation. The Tennessee guy did get ejected from the game. I mean, so there, there was consequences being handed down. But it was a, a pretty uh, – it was a very exciting moment for just a random Sunday afternoon lacrosse game. I mean, I almost saw a brawl break out between heated rivals, Tennessee and Western Michigan. <laughs> the Broncos and the Vols, deadly rivalry. So, it's my story from the weekend, but it, it was uh, that's a great story. Pretty good. Now I might be exaggerating that a little bit. I mean, he, the Tennessee guy, definitely did punch him in the face. Like <laughs> that part is no exaggeration at all. That absolutely happened. There was no fight afterwards, but there was a little bit of. A, it, it, you felt like one was going to break out. You felt like we were on the verge, but it just eh, didn't quite get over the hump. The referees did a good job of breaking it up. I wish they had let them go a little bit more. I, I think that would have been the more exciting route to go if I was one of the officials. I didn't know Drew Gilbert was on the lacrosse team. Yeah, no. right? <laughs> That's great. I love uh, it. That's good. Who knew? Who knew? What do you guys say we wrap this up? We are uh, we're getting pretty close to an hour. Not a bad show at all. Yeah. You guys will be at uh, baseball today, and then we will uh, reconvene over the weekend. We'll have baseball and basketball going on from Knoxville, so busy week ahead. Yep. Crossover season. Love Cr- it. Crossover season is upon us. Make sure you're following Rocky Temp and Center on all different social media platforms. Shout out to one of our one of our followers. Who, who was this? Can anybody, does anybody remember? Lucas. Shout out to one of our followers, Lucas, uh, on Twitter yesterday, who had a funny uh, gift that he sent in to us on, on RTI. That we had the basketball game and the baseball game going on at the same time. If that happens, which which it will continue for the next, you know, what maybe a couple weekends or so, however long this lasts, about three four weeks, depending on how long Tennessee basketball keeps playing. We will have you covered for both games. We, we will never just take one game off. We will never do anything like that. We got the crew that will be covering both games. So always make sure you're following RockyTopInsider.com. Always make sure you're following the Rocky Top Insider social media accounts. You can find us at RTI. That is on Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. You can find each one of us on those platforms as well. But that is what we're doing, trying to do our best to give you the best Tennessee news notes and coverage every single day. When it comes to this podcast, make sure you're leaving us a five-star recruit ranking. We would love to see that from you. Make sure that you also maybe even leave us over a little bit of feedback along the way. We love to read those comments, see what you want from the show, and we will do that as best we can as well. But guys, think that all being said, it's going to wrap it up for us here today in studio that right there, that's Ryan Shumpert. You can follow him at rshump00 on Twitter. That right there across from me, that is Jack Foster. You can follow him at Jack Foster Media, Jack Foster Media on Twitter. And you can follow myself if you'd like to do that as well. I am at Rick underscore Butler. But again, as we mentioned, make sure you're following RockyTompInsider.com each and every day for your Tennessee news, notes, and coverage. We will see you back over the weekend for a little Tennessee baseball, a little Tennessee basketball, and whatever else we can get into. And maybe if there's another fight on the lacrosse field, we'll bring that to the podcast as well. Thanks so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass. For Ryan, for Jack, I'm Rick Butler. We'll see you back for the next one.